You may have heard uh, the, the story that there was a Christian who was uh, stranded on a desert island for years, for five years, and he was entirely alone. Not a soul. He didn't meet a soul for five years. Eventually, a passing ship picks him up, and they find him, and they pick him up, and he's so grateful to be on board. And as they're sailing away from the island, the captain says to the Christian, on your island, I can see three huts. What were the three huts for? And the Christian says, oh, the first hut was my house, and the second hut was my church. And the captain says, oh, that's interesting. What was the third hut for? And the Christian goes, oh, that's the church I used to go to. And there's a thing, isn't there, about, uh, you know, leaving churches. We seem to leave churches quite a bit. Sometimes it's justified, often it isn't. And you may have seen this phrase, which uh, certainly I've seen in the past. Uh, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. Or I've heard people say that or say things similar to that. I love Jesus, Jesus, but I don't love the church. If you don't love Jesus, you don't love the church, period. Let's not kid ourselves. If you don't love the body of Christ on earth, you don't love Christ. And it's simply our our faith is attached to the church. It's one faith. Christ's body is the church on earth. And we might think that sometimes momentarily, mightn't we? We all get exasperated sometimes with each other. Not with me, but you might get exasperated with each other. And momentarily think that. But that's different to the attitude that some Christians sometimes have. Well, I I have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't have a relationship with the church. I don't even need to go to church. But the Christian faith is a shared faith. There is no separate or individual faith apart from the church. And uh, we are in a new series. Last week, uh, Jonathan started off with a a very famous passage from Acts chapter 2 about the early church, called to be church. And in this series of seven or eight weeks, we're looking at the callings of church, called to be reconciled, called to pray, called to give. And today, we're looking at called to be one, called to be one. And there's a short passage that we'll read. It's quite short. Um, I'll read it to you. I've actually uh, got it on here as well. So hopefully you'll be able to follow it from there. It's Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter four. And he says, So, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I'll just read a different translation uh, just to uh, emphasize the words, uh, bring them home to our hearts somewhat. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I beg you to to live in a way that is worthy of the people God has chosen to be his own. Always be humble and gentle. Patiently put up with each other and love each other. Try your best to let God's Spirit keep your hearts united. Do this by living at peace. All of you are part of the same body. There is only one Spirit of God, just as you were called to one hope when you were chosen to be God's people. We have only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There is one God who is the Father of all people. Not only is God above all others, but he works by using all of us, and he lives in all of us. So I'm sure it didn't escape your attention that Paul uses uh, one word, the word one, seven times in that passage 
the word unity comes up. And then he says, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. I'm just going to talk about this word one today. And uh, he says it before that. He says, try your best. Try your best to let God's spirit keep your hearts united. It's interesting there. It says, try your best. The emphasis is on that we have to try. There's an active effort there. Be zealous. Be attentive. Put energy into it. Unity doesn't happen by default because we're not doing anything wrong. Unity is something that we actually have to work at as church. How do we do that? How do we uh, do that with people we don't get on with? How do we do that with other churches, with people who we will never even see? Well, first of all, it's good to remind ourselves that uh, one important, very important concept with unity. People sometimes think that unity means we have to agree on everything. Unity doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. It doesn't mean that. It means we find ways to work together, to be together, to love one another, even though we might not agree on some things. We find ways to disagree well, and then we have unity. We'll open this up a little bit. Unity is finding ways to love one another and sometimes respectfully disagree, to work with one another, even though we might not all have the same views. It's a bit like a family. And uh, the New Testament does use the idea of family a few times in Scripture. Uh, church is family. Because family, we don't always get on with people in our family, do we? And yet we are committed to each other. We have to be. So, for example, when uh, people said to Jesus, oh, you, your mother and your brothers are here to see you. Jesus said, stretching out his hands towards his disciples, Jesus said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And uh, the, church, the New Testament uses the word household to mean within the same family, the same household. That comes up several times. For example, in the same book, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are all together in this household, in this family. And the, di- the idea of church as family is helpful because, uh, as I say, we don't always agree with people in our family. But nevertheless, we commit to one another because we are a family. And perhaps you think, you know, when, I, when we look around, that just doesn't feel like my family. It doesn't feel like my family. But what's helped me sometimes is to think of people in my church as you, as my brothers and sisters in law. My brothers and sisters in law. And that concept helps me because I think, well, you're not uh, biologically connected to your brothers and sisters in law. You, you haven't known them since birth. Yet, I am committed to you. And we are committed to each other. Just as you would be committed, mother-in-law joke, jokes aside, to our brothers-in-law, our sisters-in-law, our fathers-in-law and mothers-in-law. We are committed and connected. But this time, not through our spouse or our siblings, but we are connected to each other through God and brought together, just as brothers and sisters-in-law. And so let's look at this idea of oneness that comes up seven times in this short passage. And I'll speak mainly about oneness in the global church, and then a, little, a few minutes at the end about oneness in our local church and what that means. So the global church called to be one. Here's a picture of a church that I went to three years ago. We went to, very fortunate to go to St. Petersburg. And this is the church on the spilled blood uh, in St. Petersburg. It's full of magnificent cathedrals, the Russian Orthodox Church. You go in and it's a completely immersive experience. You are totally immersed Sights, sounds, and smells, your senses are 100% engaged. 
You can't get away. You know. It's an amazing experience. And perhaps you've also been in magnificent cathedrals or churches when you've been on holiday. Uh, not something I might do every week, but wonderful to visit. And, and makes me, made me think that I am actually brothers and sisters with people in this church who I may never meet. And very broadly, I'm sure most of you will know that the church worldwide is 2.3 billion people in three subfamilies. We have the Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Catholic Church, and the Protestant Church. Three subfamilies, but nevertheless, one body of Christ on earth. And every local congregation in the world is a representative of that one body. Every local congregation is a representative of that one body of 2.3 billion people in one family. What an idea. Uh, Jonathan mentioned last week that if we take the Protestant subfamily, there are more than 40,000 denominations now in Protestantism. More than 40,000 ways that we've divided and split and fragmented. Fragmenting the body of Christ should bother us a lot more than it seems to as Protestants. We just go and form another. We don't agree with that, so we'll go and form another church. And that's a shame. You know, so Christ is not divided, and yet we have divided him. But God, in his grace, always brings something good out of something bad. And so we find in our Protestant subfamily a rich tapestry of practices, a rich tapestry of uh, types of church, of types of garment, of liturgy, of types of music, of types of song, of types of worship. A wonderful uh, variety, a wonderful diversity within our own family. Anglicans, Methodists, Baptists, URC, and so forth. But the basis of unity, there is a basis, a single basis of unity across the whole church worldwide, all 2.3 billion people. And it goes back to the third century, perhaps even the second century. And in the third century, the same people who brought us the, the, the New Testament, who compiled the scriptures, brought us the creeds, the statement of faith that we believe as church. And there are two main variants of it, but they're both very similar the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, I'm sure you've come across them. We don't always say them, but we sometimes sing them, don't we? I believe in God the Father, creator of the universe, and his only son, Jesus Christ. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And the lots of churches say those. We sing them sometimes. This is our basis of faith. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the same men and women to bring us the scriptures brought us these creeds. And we should use them as a basis of faith across our church. And we should not add to them because that's what we do. We add to them and say, oh, well, we need to have this as well. We need to have this as well. But that's, we're adding to it. Within this basis of faith, we strive for unity, but not uniformity. We can still have variety. Unity is not at any cost. We don't have unity at any cost. So some people who call themselves churches... Uh, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses, they will not subscribe to that statement of faith. For example, Latter-day Saints or Mormons would disagree with some elements of that statement of faith. So we don't have unity with heresy, just as we don't have unity with uh, immorality. But within that broad definition of faith, you will find the Orthodox churches, the Catholic churches, and the Protestant churches, 2.3 billion people in one family will, will agree, will sign up to the vast majority of churches around the world. Now, it sounds easy, doesn't it? Let's have unity, and there's our statement of faith. It's not rocket science, because we get all that, and, and we understand it. 
So, so it sounds easy. Let's have unity as church, as churches. And it seems an easy prospect until we come across the things that we disagree on and we don't agree on. So let me talk just for a couple of minutes about some of the disagreements that have led and do still lead to disunity and conflict between churches and also within churches as well. So uh, one church or one part of a church will say, we must take the Bible as literally inerrant and literally true at all times. It's always, it always applies, literally. Another church, another part of the church will say, the, church, the Bible is the Word of God, but it was given to people 2000, more than 2,000 years ago, and we have to reinterpret it. That was a different time, a different language, a different culture. Both can be defended. One side of the church will say, um, according to Scripture, uh, faith is a personal belief. It's a personal belief, that we, uh, that we, a personal statement that we make, a, a mature statement as an adult. So we only baptize adults for that reason, for that very good reason. Another church, another part of the church will say, well, hang on, children are included in, 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 in our covenant. The covenant that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago was for you and all your children. They're not excluded. And you can find occasions in the New Testament where it, looked, it really looked like children were baptized. They will defend that. Oh, and then there are one, one church or one side of the church, some churches will uh, marry people of the same sex because they feel that that's, they, are being, they are being moved to, to do that in our culture and our time. Other sides of the church, other churches will say, no, only heterosexual marriage, marriage between a man and a woman. That's the only thing the Bible talks about. And then, you know, we talk uh, about many other things which I could bring up. Some, well, some churches will say, we take the Bible as our authority, our only authority, full stop, period. Other churches will say, well, yes, we take the Bible, but we also take tradition. And one church, one family will also say, and we take the Pope, who is, uh, they feel, descended from Peter. And we say, well, that's not in the Bible. So why are you doing that? They say, well, some things that you do, Baptists in church, are not in the Bible. They're not in the Bible. So we come across, uh, and, we, and these arguments rattle round and round indefinitely, and splitters and fragmenters, and then we say, oh, we're going to form our own church if we're a Protestant. And we have this uh, idea that we're actually, we're, we all disagree. But that's because we're looking at the things we disagree on. Somehow our differences have become more important than the things we have in common. There are lots of things to fall out over as Christians if that's what you want to do. And they can all be defended. Everything I just said, all those views can be defended as Christians, can be defended from Scripture. People will defend them. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to have different views. It's not okay to have disunity. It's not okay to be in conflict. Respectful disagreement is good. Conflict, disunity breaks the body of Christ. Sometimes I do feel we value our differences more than our unity sometimes. But Paul values unity in Christ above all. And uh, one of his verses in this message, in this passage, always be humble and gentle, patiently put up with each other, love each other, try your best to let God's Spirit keep your hearts united. It'll take work. Sometimes as churches and as Christians, we have a colossal lack of humility. We think we're the defender of the faith somehow, and nobody else is. But that's not, simply not true. God hasn't given us that role. And uh, I wonder how much God cares about uh, all those other arguments I just went through. They're all important, actually. They're all important. 
but they're not as important as the statements in the creed. And when we look at Scripture, we see the emphasis of Scripture isn't, isn't actually about those things that we discussed. It's about act justly, walk humbly, love mercy, says God, many times in the Old Testament. It's about when you invite people, invite the poor, the crippled, the marginalized, and, and then your reward is in heaven. It's about J- Jesus saying to his followers, the things that I will judge you on, it's not your theology. I'm not going to judge you on that. I'm going to judge you on whether when I was thirsty, did you give me a drink? When I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was a stranger, did you visit me? And then I will separate the sheep from the goats. And Jesus says, doesn't he, what do I, what he says, go to the ends of the earth, preach repentance and baptism in my name. I care about that. And you'll have to do it as churches together. You will have to get, find a way to get together and do that. You'll be so much stronger. And Jesus says, it's almost the last commandment, the last great commandment he gives to his disciples. This is how people will know that you are my family because you love one another. John chapter 13. This is how the world will recognize you because you will love one another, not falling out with one another. And the, the world loves it when we fall out. There's the church arguing with itself all over again. What a load of hypocrites. No, we, we need to maintain the body of Christ. Unity doesn't mean sameness. And we can be curious about other Christians. If you go into a cathedral or, or an odd-looking church, a magnificent, uh, perhaps, church full of bells and smells, be curious. Ask, why do you do that? Where does that come from? Why are you doing that? But we don't get hung up. Don't let it be a reason for disunity. Disunity has broken the church and compromised its mission. Our basis of belief must remain the ancient creeds given to us by the same Holy Spirit, and we shouldn't add to them our favorite doctrine. Just like in our earthly families, what we have in common in our church family is much more important. The good news of Christ crucified and risen. And uh, just, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever been a member of a different church. Maybe you have, but... Um, when I lived in India some decades ago, I just remember this day, I was in a, <clears throat> a different town. I ended up walking around outside a Methodist church, uh, an Indian Methodist church. And uh, they, it was middle of the week, and um, they were, the choir was practicing. And the words of this song, it was, they were in Gujarati. Didn't, they came to me, which they came through the walls. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God. You know this chorus, right, from the 1980s, I think. Jesus, name above all names. And the words, I didn't understand the words, and yet I completely understood the words. And I was bowled over that day. I was knocked out. I was sent really by this idea that I'm in a place where the language is different, the culture is different, the climate is different, the people are different, the food is different, but God is the same. Wow. And when that, when that hits you in that way, it sends you reeling. In all these places across the earth, God is the same. And, and in a lot of these churches, we are welcomed as family. I was, and I'm sure you found that as well too. Sometimes in, in, in odd-looking churches, in strange places. Well, a worldwide church is a powerful idea, marvelously, wonderfully true, but it's also fragile. So then lastly, just in a, a few minutes, I've talked about unity in the globally in the worldwide church. What, about, what does unity mean for us in our local church?
How are we called to be one here at LBC? Well, everything that I've said before applies now because <clears throat> we can still have those discussions about things we have different views on in our own church. We need unity. Unity doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. We can respectfully disagree and love one another and work together. We disagree well. And that's not easy when it's something that I deeply care about, that you deeply care about. But that's what we're called to as Christians, as a family here in Lim. But what does unity, what else does unity look like? If we're a united church family, what else does that, does that look like? Because we're not simply a bunch of people who come together online or come together in the same building. Just as a family, is not just a bunch of people who have to live in the same house. There's more to it than that. If we are an authentic local church family, and we are, we strive to live together increasingly as family. We share joys and sorrows. We celebrate life's big events together, a big birthday, a a new baby, an anniversary, a golden wedding. We support one another in the hardships of life, a serious illness, a loss of employment. This is what family does. We grieve together when someone is lost because it's a member of our own family that's lost. And we learn together, encouraging one another Encouraging one another to righteousness, love, and furthering God's kingdom together in this place, in this town. And yeah, finding ways to disagree well when we need to do that. So then what do we do? Because that's all about agreement and working together in unity and family. What do we do when we really disagree, when we really fall out and there is conflict in the church? What do we do then? Finding ways to forgive one another is not easy. But at some point, we will all, I think, we will all likely feel disappointed or let down or hurt by other people in this place. If we're involved in ministry here, in life here, in family, we will all feel that, find that sometimes. Forgiving one another is what we're called to do. And uh, so important, this topic, and I don't want to deal with it uh, trivially, that we have a separate message just on this Uh, The church called to reconcile, which is on the 6th of March. And we'll talk about what do we do when, as a family, things are not going well. Okay? We're called to forgive, but I will come back to that. For today, uh, let's end uh, as the band, if you want to get ready. The church, as as I've presented, hopefully is a wonderful benefit to being a Christian. It means you get to be part of a church family, a local family, and a global family. To say we are church means we work towards unity, not hammering out agreement in everything, but unity in Christ as a family. To say we are church is a global commitment to Christ's body and a local commitment to the body of Christ here. To say we are church means we show love, compassion, and support one another. To say we are church means we walk through life together. We do life together, life's events, encouraging, supporting, advising one another. It means we work together in the world, bringing God's kingdom here on earth. And this tells the world who we are, because we are the church. Let's just pray very briefly, and then we'll sing this wonderful song. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you have given us your body here on, here on earth, and that is us. That is us. So let us help us, Lord, not to work to divide, but to work to bring that body together. Because when we are church, we are powerful We move by your spirit, Lord, and the gates of hell cannot withstand us. 
So let's stand and sing, Lord, build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. We are the church. We are the hope on earth. And let's celebrate who we are as church.